Matthew 11, 28. Actually, we'll start in verse 25. Matthew 11, 25. All right, you there? Okay. It says, I thank you. Jesus is speaking. He answered some uh, people that were asking him questions. Um, and he says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Say, I'm a babe. Come on, say it again. I'm a babe. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight, all things have been delivered to me. This is Jesus praying to the Father. Uh, all things are delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Jesus is saying, no one knows my Father unless I've revealed it to them. Verse 28, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That word heavy laden means come to me, all you who labor and are overloaded with spiritual anxiety. Come to me, all you who labor and are weary and burdened with something that I can't hold on to, I can't bear. And I will give you rest. That word rest means restore. It means rest or restore, uh, bring to refreshment, bring back to the way it should be. In verse 29, it says, take my yoke upon you. Say me. Say me. And learn from me. Say him. For I am gentle and lowly in my heart, and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Flip over to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. How many of you love your word tonight? How many of you love it when nobody's looking? You don't really love it if you don't love it when nobody's looking. Acts 14, verse 19. It's this uh, story of a Paul. Paul is, uh, he is in uh, Lystra, and uh, he is preaching the gospel. And one of the things you got to realize about Paul is that a few years before this incident, uh, Paul... Uh, actually had a radical uh, encounter with Jesus. Crazy story. The guy, uh, you can read it in chapter Acts chapter 7, Paul was a chief priest. He was a high priest. He was one of those dudes who was like a lead Pharisee over the rest of the Pharisees. And if you actually study what happens uh, in this story where Stephen, how many of you have heard of Stephen? Stephen gets stoned. He's the, first, he's the first martyr in the New Testament that is stoned. And he gets stoned to death. And as he's being stoned, the Bible says that those who were stoning him, the Jews that were stoning him, took their coats and put them at the feet of a young man named Saul. Or uh, we know him as Paul. To the Gentiles, he was Paul. To the Jews, he was Saul. But regardless, they put it at the feet of Saul. What the heck does that mean? Well, that, that simply means, and that profoundly means, that Saul was the one who gave these people the authority to stone Stephen. Saul was the guy who gave them the right and the authority to stone him. That's why they took their coats and put it at his feet, because they were saying, hey, this is in your hands. 
You're giving us the right. It wasn't just that Paul was standing there going, wow, what are they doing? He said, stone them. And you can stone them in my name. Saul was passionate. He studied under the most studied, learned Jews. What's funny? You never heard of learned before? You laugh because you just don't know the word. Get a dictionary. <clears throat> just kidding. They're like, oh, gosh, I feel so offended. Uh, he studied under this man named Gamaliel, who is one of the most uh, uh, smartest and educated Jews and Pharisees of his day. He studied at his feet, which means Saul was the cream of the crop Jew. I mean, the dude was like, he was the man. Like, he had studied. He'd done everything. He was, he was like, like got people that go into the NBA and then they make become all-stars. Like, he was like an all-star of all-stars. Okay, so when the Christian church began, well, what happened was Saul began to exercise and execute his authority by putting Christians to death. Not just, not, just, not just taking them and putting them in prison, which he did do that, but he actually authorized people to stone Christians. He gave them that right because of his authority. People looked at him and he said, yes. Well, a few years later, he's on his way to a town, a city called Damascus, where he's actually going to seek out and arrest more Christians that he had been hearing about, that there was some revival happening in Damascus. So he gets up on his donkey and starts riding up to Damascus. The Bible says, this light comes out of heaven, knocks him off his horse and speaks to him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Long story short, Saul becomes a Christian. God takes him and turns him around. Blinds him for three days. The third day, this guy comes and prays for him. His eyes are open, and he begins to write two-thirds of the New Testament and becomes the, the chief and the lead, pretty much, apostle of, to all Gentiles. Gentiles are unbelievers. Apostle is simply a guy who helped plant and build churches. From a murderer of Christians to the leader who preached the gospel to Gentiles so that you and I, Gentiles could be saved and hear the gospel. I'm, thank God, I'm thanking God for, for Paul. And just a few years later, the Bible says he's in this place called Lystra. And it says that some Jews from Antioch and Iconium, because he was just there, and they all got fired up when he was there preaching, and he, he snuck out of the city. And so some Jews from Antioch and Iconium heard him, and they, they, at, at, they persuaded the multitudes. They stoned Paul. And they dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Paul was probably stoned by men that he authorized others to stone. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and he went back into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. Did you just hear what I just said? That dude was crazy. When, when, when the Bible says that somebody was stoned, it means that they were stoning them to the point of death. That's what it means. That's what they were doing. They were stoning him to the point of death. So when the Bible says that they stoned Paul, you can't just read over that and go, well, <laughs> bless him, Lord. 
do what you can, Lord. Just, just bless Paul. Well, he's in heaven now. But could you imagine if one of your brothers or a pastor that was over you was stoned and you gathered around him and he got up and he didn't run away. He went back into the city. I want to be a Christian like that. I question if there's any other type of Christian. I question if there's any other type of commitment. I question if there's any other type of life that is all in. I question if it really looks like anything else, if you've made your decision, like we talked about last week. you got to understand this, that when Paul was stoned, that they, they would stone somebody. How many of you seen the movie? I don't even want to say it. Crazy, disgusting movie. The stoning of Soraya M. Okay, nobody's seen it. Good, don't watch it. Matt, you saw it with me, bro. But most gruesome thing we've, I've ever seen. It's all about what people actually do, and they stone them, and they would stone you until you're dead. Actually, they'd bury you to your waist, and then they would stone you so that when they hit you with a rock, you wouldn't fall over or run away. But they'd bury you up to here, so when they hit you, you just stood there. All you could do is hide your face, but they would pick up rocks, and your family members, your friends, those that you grew up with would stone you to death. And when you were pretty much, you had nothing left, they'd go up and they would feel your pulse. If you still had a pulse, they would say, he's still breathing, stone him more. I'm just, I'm just trying to teach you what's real. We live in America and we're shepherded and, and, and we're guarded from these things. But these are real things that are happening right now to real Christians like you across the world. So when Paul was stoned, I don't know exactly how they did it. Sometimes they said they threw him in a ditch and they put, covered him with rocks and then they would stone him. Sometimes they would bury them and do it that way. I don't really know how they did it, but I do know this. When they stoned somebody, they would go make sure that they were dead. So when the Bible says that they supposed him to be dead, it says they supposed him to be dead. That means that they, they stoned him long enough for them to go over there, check his pulse. He wasn't breathing. His heart wasn't beating. They grabbed him. They drug him out of the city because he was dead. Literally dead. They wouldn't have stopped stoning him until he was dead. And they drug him out of the city so his stench wouldn't ruin their city. I'm just, I'm just preaching from the Bible tonight, talking about Paul, who stoned people, but then a few years later, after he gets saved, is stoned himself. They supposed him to be dead, but the disciples got around to him. They're like, what the heck? And the dude gets up. Could you imagine? He, they didn't pray for him. They, just, they probably looked at him. I mean, bloody. I mean, he probably didn't have barely any clothes on. He must have had swelled up. I mean, he was jacked up. And he walks back into the city. I wonder if he even said something. I wonder if he even did. He probably looked at him and said, You can't keep me down. I'm going to preach this gospel. And even if you kill me, I'm going to come back until my God is done with me. So he goes back into the city. And then the next morning, he gets up and heads on to another city. You can find out in Acts 17, the Bible says he's whipped, beaten, and thrown in prison. Paul was the real deal. Let's pray. Father, tonight we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you for...
God, we thank you for people like Paul. God, we thank you that you call people like Paul. God, you call us as sinners. As sinners, you call us, Lord. What the heck? And you make us innocent and righteous before you. Forgive us for being selfish. Forgive us for being so concerned about the things of this world. Forgive us for being so caught up with the things of this world. God, let us be caught up with you. God, I pray tonight for every ear that is hearing and listening, Lord, that you would impart a word and that you would open up our eyes to see, open up our ears to hear, open up our minds to understand, open up our hearts to embrace, to receive, and to perceive how good you are and how much you've done for us and how you've saved us and redeemed us, God, that we would catch a glimpse and then live a life in view of that marvelous mercy and your love for us, God, that we were dead in our sin and you rose us again and you blessed us and you seated us in heavenly places, God. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you for saving us, Lord. Thank you, God. Do something tonight that we cannot do. Mold us, change us, shape us. Take away those things that are keeping us from living a life like Paul. Come on, in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Don't lose your confidence. How many, you, you, know what, you know what it feels like when you lose your confidence? <laughs> I remember when I, was, when I was younger, I used to go skiing all the time. And I was a pretty arrogant little punk kid. Say punk kid. That, that, that was me. And I, and I was so arrogant and, and punkish and, and prideful. And some of you knew me when I first got saved. I was still the same way. God's still working it out of me. Say amen. <laughs> and one of the things that I thought I was just amazing at was skiing. How many know that I just don't look like a skier? But I thought that just because I'd done it that I was really good. And so I actually lived right up here on Lone Tree, which is funny. Well, I couple up by the Brady's a little bit. I lived right there across the street from Hilltop. And so when I was younger, I'd go skiing all the time. So when I was uh, in junior high, uh, I actually got hurt. My knee got hurt. Long story, don't have time to go into it. But my knee got hurt, and I ended up going, uh, and I didn't ski for four years because I played basketball. And the coach said, if you play basketball, you can't ski. And then when I actually played for a coach who didn't mind, I still didn't want to ski because I didn't want to hurt my knee or my ankle. So I just... I just stayed away from, from skiing. But then I got married, and, and we had one of those Northern Lights books. You know what the Northern Lights books are? You can get discounts and stuff. And one of the discounts was buy one, get one free lift at Hilltop. And I'm like, Hilltop? Who goes to Hilltop? You know, when I grew up, Hilltop was like, Pff. you know, I'd go down there backwards. or I wasn't that good, but uh, it's not very hard to go down the hill backwards. <laughs> I skied, by the way. Never snowboarded for all the snowboarders. I'm sorry. Uh, but skiing's the only way. Okay. And so... I, I grew up going to Alyeska as well. Well, Ashley and I were like, hey, let's go skiing. And I'm like, shoot, yeah, let's go skiing. The whole time I'm thinking, dang, dude, I don't know if I can ski anymore. You know, like, I'm like worried like crazy. But I'm the whole time just talking big talk. And we actually come to a, uh, we, we get there and we rented some skis. And, and the funniest part, it's so funny, you know, when, when you're trying to prove it to a girl. Actually, were we married yet? We weren't married yet. See, that's the thing. That's what I, I'm re- remembering right now. Thanks, babe. Uh, come on, give it up for Ashley. Preaching the truth tonight. Well, uh, we weren't married yet, so I was still trying to prove it. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I was trying to get her to realize, girl, I can do anything for you. I'll carry you down the hill skiing backwards with a somersault, side flip, aerial, boom. And she was like, oh, my gosh, you know. I'm just like, check this out. 
So we get on that, we get on that, we get in that, that our stuff, and we're walking out there. I'm, I'm walking all funky, and I'm freaking out how to walk in these boots, you know. And I'm just carrying her skis and my skis, and I'm tripping, and she's just like, oh my gosh, it's so beautiful, and skis are falling, and, and being, you know, you know, they kind of stick together, and you hold them like that, you stick them, and I'm walking, and I, I'm talking, I'm talking to her, and talking like I'm all, I'm all that, and, and it hits this, there's a, there was rocks on the path, we hit this rock, and fell, and both of them split open, and fell over the ground, oh, this happens all the time, you know, so I'm down there picking it up, and so we get on the chairlift, we hop up on that chairlift, how many of the chairlifts are nice, could you imagine, if you didn't have a chairlift, you know, the grace of God is like a chairlift. If you need to be carried somewhere, you just need to put your faith in that grace, and he'll carry you to places you've never been before and didn't even think you could ever go before. Well, beside the point, I get on this chairlift, and I'm just like, oh, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's you know, that's the cool hill. And, and uh, I, I named that hill after my friend uh, Petey back in school. Uh, I did a somersault over him, and, pff, yeah, that little, that little half pipe, yeah, I mastered that thing. And so we're going up this hill, and, and I'm, and I'm just talking the talk. Don't laugh, Alex. I'm just messing, man. I'm just messing. Well, how many know pride comes before the fall? And literally, I fell. So we're getting up on this deal. And one of the things about Hilltop, those stupid chairlifts confuse you. By the time you get to the top, I don't know if I'm supposed to get off or keep going around. Because my feet don't touch the top. And I'm not a short guy. Like, I'm 6'3". And I, my feet still don't touch the deal. I don't know if they've changed it. I haven't been there in a couple of years because I lost confidence. But I'm going up this deal, and I'm, I'm riding it. And Ashley just slides on down. I'm like, oh, shoot. I'm, I'm still riding the deal all the way around the corner. And phew, boom. And I just fell off the deal and fell on my back. I'm like, oh, dang. What's wrong with that thing? And I'm like yelling. The guy that's at the top of the chair comes running out. He's like, Oh, dude, are you okay? Man, I'm good, bro. I stood up. I was like, yeah, I'm good. Ashley's like, eh, she just skied off without me. I don't know him. I remember for the rest of the day, I was like learning from her because I completely lost my confidence. Come on, say lost. Your confidence. Don't lose your confidence because the whole rest of the day, I didn't know if I could even ski anymore. I was confused. I was frustrated. I was discouraged. I felt like, I felt like, I felt like my zipper was down the whole day, and I couldn't do anything about it. Do you know what, you know what I'm talking about? You know what? I've been that guy. I, you know what's the worst? Is you're hanging out with people all night long, and you're just, just talking away. You're just, and you're just, you're, I'm seriously, you're just, you're just confident. You're just excited, and then you, and then you get home. And you look down, you're like, oh, dang. And you zip up your pants. You're like, oh. And you start thinking. You kind of sit down, you're like, maybe I went to the bathroom after I spent time. No, I didn't. When was it? Oh, stink. It's when I walked into the person's house. My zipper was down all night long. You been there before? There was one time where I've preached a whole message. I'll tell you afterwards when that was, bro. A whole message. And I walked down to my office and I was like, oh, shoot, dang it. Everybody saw. I know they saw. There ain't no way they didn't see. I don't just stand there behind the pole like this. There ain't no way. Man, zip up your pants. But, but the point of the story is don't lose your confidence. Don't lose your confidence. Think about Paul. Say Paul. When you think about Paul, you have to understand that this guy killed Christians. But at the same time, he had more confidence than anybody else in the world. What the heck was up with that? 
How did he, who killed Christians and authorized Christians to be killed, have confidence to worship God, to praise God, to teach, to preach, to talk about, to talk about this? If you go to Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 13, Verse 38, you don't have to go there, but you can listen real quick. It's, this is Paul preaching. He says, therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man, Jesus, is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by, by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. He's saying, even me. I killed Christians, and all my sins have been forgiven, and I'm justified. What does that mean? That means that you have a right standing before God through Christ Jesus. I want to know how Paul had confidence, because he understood what Christ did. He understood that Christ did was enough. He understood that if he's in Christ, that he can be confident. He understood that if he is in Christ, he is as righteous as Christ, you following me? If your faith is in Christ, then Christ covers you. Say covers. That means that when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sinfulness. If your faith is in Christ, he sees Christ's righteousness. The Bible says that God clothes us with the robe of righteousness. That means it doesn't matter how many stains you got on your shirt. You can walk up into that place because somebody else gave you a jacket that makes you confident. By the way, not only are you covered, but them stains are washed all, all, all away. I'm talking about living confident. I'm talking about living a life where you do not lose your confidence. I'm talking about when you hear something from Jesus who tells these people to come to me, that when you hear that, you don't think, well, I can't really because of what I did last night. I'm not saying that you should just live any life you want to live and then just run to Jesus. I'm saying that, that you should live a life of confidence because of what Christ has done for you. But if you blow it, you confess, God, I've sinned and I'm asking that you'd wash my conscience clean that I can run to you with confidence. See, right now, my conscience is clean. My conscience is clean, so I'm completely confident. Now, if my conscience isn't clean, if I've sinned and I haven't confessed it to God and to somebody else, then my heart condemns me. You, you see what I'm saying? My heart condemns me, and so then I feel, I feel guilty, and I can't come to Jesus. I can't run to Jesus because I feel guilty. And so there's so many of you, many of you in here tonight, you don't have confidence, not because you're not saved, not because you're not justified, but because your, your, your heart is condemning you because you've sinned and you haven't confessed. And we're, you can do that right now if you want to. Lord, I confess for this, 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 this. And you got to have faith that he forgives you and washes you and that you are embraced by the Father. See, it's not even about necessarily being forgiven because he's forgiven you. It's about your hearts being washed and cleansed. And if you're here tonight and you haven't put your faith in Christ, then you're not forgiven. And the only way for forgiveness of your sins and a right relationship with God is your faith in Jesus. That's the best news in the whole wide world. But when I hear Jesus saying, come to me, which by the way, he is saying to you tonight, come to me. Say, come to me. God is on a daily basis asking us to not only come to him, but run to him and hold on to him. Jesus is calling you, calling me, calling us tonight to come to me.
come to me. But you will not come to him if you do not have confidence like him. Gabriel, what about this thing? Come to me. He doesn't say this. He doesn't say, hey, get rid of your burdens and then come to me. He says, come to me and give me your burdens. Do you know, do you know what, what, when, it says, when it says, all you who labor and are heavy laden, what Jesus was saying, you got to hear me now, you got to hear me. What Jesus was saying, come to me those, to sum it up, he's saying, come to me those who feel shame. Come to me those who feel guilt. Come to me those who are really weary because they realize they're just not good enough and they can't keep all the commandments of God. Come to me. Come on, how do you know that's every single one of us? Come to me, come to me if you feel like you're, you're overloaded with spiritual anxiety. You're overwhelmed. He says, come to me. He doesn't say, deal with your anxiety and then come to me. He doesn't say, wash yourself up. He says, come to me with those things. Come to me. Come to me. With confidence. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, after they get done talking about how we're forgiven and justified and saved, and he says this, he says, let us draw near to the throne of grace. Let us draw near with boldness to the throne of grace to receive mercy and to find grace to help us in our time of need. Draw near with boldness and confidence to God. I'm talking about a generation. I'm talking about a young person that doesn't wait until they become more godly and righteous to be confident. I'm talking about a young person. Hear me now. I'm talking about a young person who puts their faith in Jesus and because their faith is in Christ, that they are as confident as Christ. Because if you're in Christ, then you are as righteous. Say righteous. You are as righteous as Christ. If you are in Christ, then you are just as much as a son of God as Christ is a son of God. You are just as much as a child of God as Jesus is a child of God. Nothing less. For if you were anything less, you would not be accepted. Confidence. Come on, look to your neighbor. Look to your neighbor. Come on, one of them. Don't, don't everybody look to your right and don't everybody look to your left. Look at your neighbor and say, don't come on don't come on say it with some attitude don't and then hit him hit him hit him on the leg don't punch him man calm down easy 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 just hit him on the leg hit him on the leg and say don't lose your confidence don't lose it come on don't lose it because because listen because listen because listen because listen if you lose your confidence, if you lose your confidence, you about lost everything. Because if you lose your confidence, you've about given up Jesus. That means that you don't have faith anymore. I'm not saying that if you lost it, then you're done for. I'm saying if you lost it, you can regain it. You with me? Come to me, he says, and I will restore you. How many have ever felt, and if you, you don't have to... Uh, you don't have to say right now, but if you've ever felt where you feel just spiritual anxiety, you feel shame, come on, you felt, you felt guilty, 
You felt condemned. You felt not good enough. You, you know what I'm saying? I'm not talking about what somebody else thinks about you. I'm talking about where you feel like you just, you just don't measure up. Check it out. You don't measure up. But in Christ, you do measure up. See, your, your shirt is naturally stained, but Christ puts his robe on you, washes you, cleanses you, and gives you not your confidence, but his confidence. I'm preaching tonight. I'm talking about the gospel of Jesus where you are confident in him, bold to run to him. But check this out. Because we're just getting started. There are things, not just shame and guilt. Hear me now because this is where where it's going to start getting you good. Because it's getting me good. There are things that you are too concerned with There are things that you are too caught up with. Hear me, young ladies, young men, leaders and all. Hear me. There are things, there are things that you are too concerned with that are keeping you from doing what God has made you to be concerned with. There are burdens that you're carrying that you are not made to carry. And I'm praying that after this, after I'm done, we're going to have an altar call, that God would open your eyes to see what those things are. Maybe it's a relationship with a guy. Maybe it's a relationship with a girl. Maybe it's your concern for being accepted and your concern for being approved, your concern for being liked. Maybe it's your need to be a leader, your need to be heard, your need to be seen. I don't know what it is for you, but you have a measure of things that are concerning you and keeping you from fulfilling what God, if, 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 if you had two hands, which you do, and I were, and you were holding one in each hand, and I was trying to give you another thing, you couldn't take that thing because you have two other things in your hands. You with me? You with me? There are things that you're holding in your hands, and if you don't put those things down, you can't receive what God has for you. There are concerns that you get too caught up with. I'm talking about that thing that you think about at night. I'm talking about that thing that you can't get out of your head. The thing that makes you frustrated, the thing that makes you fearful, the thing that makes you anxiety, the thing that makes you angry, the thing that makes you want to control people and control things. The thing that makes you moody. The thing that makes you upset so quick. I'm talking about those things that don't bring love out of your heart. Those things are keeping you from fulfilling what God has made you to do. Not only are they keeping you, but they're fully hindering you. And Jesus says, come to me with those burdens. And then he says, and take mine. First Peter 5, 7. Cast your care upon me. That word care is the same word as, as, as concerns and heavy laden burdens. It's the same idea. It's the same concept. Come to me and cast them. You want confidence? You need to learn how to cast. Oh, that'll preach. You know, the best fishermen, when we're talking about fishing in a river, it all just comes down to the cast. Talk to my brother. How'd you do that? Well, I just, I cast it right there. So I'll, my brother's really good at fishing. My older, you know those people with this, 
you'll be fishing in the same hole and you don't catch a thing and then you move to their spot because they're catching everything and they go to your spot you catch nothing they're catching everything still you know that person like yeah i am that person shut up <laughs> you know that person you know that feeling you're like you just want to hook them in the face god come here you little jerk you know yeah, I feel that every once in a while my brother, because he's so good. Everywhere, he's just like, oh, I'll just, I'll just uh, use some yarn. Oh, fish on. Oh, gosh, my bad, brother. <laughs> I like, got like the $300 stinking fly rod. Look, and, and I've realized over time, he, and he would just tell me, Gabriel, you just got to cast it like this. I'd be like, not that you cast like that. Cast it like this, or however you would cast. I'd be like, okay, so i try to do it, and then he'd have a fish. I wouldn't have a fish. You want to catch, you want to catch men, you want to bring a revival, you have to learn how to cast. You need to learn how to cast. Because as you learn how to cast your cares upon him, he gives you a burden for something else that is greater than you. It's what you were made to do. It's what you were made to carry. And when you carry that burden, you will catch men. He says, he says something profound he says i'll give you rest and then you take my yoke i'll restore you and then you take my yoke i'll wash your slate clean i'll wash your burdens clean i'll take those concerns from you because i can carry those you can't i carried them on a cross for you and then i'll give you my yoke i'll give you my burden i'll give you my concern you know what we know what's different about paul paul wasn't just a committed christian say committed christian and then say uh-uh he wasn't just a committed, yeah, he was a committed Christian, but he wasn't just a committed Christian. He was a Christian with a burden. Say burden. Our message tonight is called Get Your Burden. Get your burden. What does that mean? That means that thing that is pressuring down. Another word for that word burden is, 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 is the word pressure. Anybody felt pressure on your heart? There are things that are pressuring your heart that you weren't made for. But God has given you and God has promised for you and God has made a burden for you to be pressured with personally and intimately in your heart. God has made one for you and he's made one for me. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. How did Paul do what he did? Without, I mean, I mean, it's one thing to be stoned. It's another thing to be stoned and jump up and run back into the city. He had joy in the midst of pain. What the heck? He, he had rest. His heart was clean. He was confident. Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter 11. Come on now. I'm telling you. Come on now. Say, God. Come on, don't say it if you don't mean it. If you don't mean it, just, 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 just listen. Say, God. Come on, say, God. Give me your burden. 
Paul is telling a story and a few stories of all the things that God or that he went through. Check this out. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 11. You don't have to read it. If you want to, you can just listen to me because I'm going to stop every once in a while. Check this out. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. He's saying, look, I'm not trying to boast, but I got to boast for a minute so that you can understand what I've gone through. And this was before he went through a bunch of other stuff. Check this out. He says, in labors, I worked harder than them. In stripes, above measure. In other words, he had so many stripes from being whipped and from being beaten. He had so many, he said, I can't count them anymore. He says, in prisons, more frequently. I mean, it got to the point to where people were expecting every other week, Paul's probably in prison right now. Pray for him. Lord bless him. You know, shake, shake the place. Get him free. Set the captive free. I mean, that's what's not happening. He was in prison all the time. I've never been to prison. Andrew almost went. You can ask him about it later. In deaths. Check this out. Who says things like this? In deaths often. What the heck? I mean, you could just stop right there and go home and be like, dang, this dude embraced it. But he doesn't stop. He says, from the Jews, five times I received 39 lashes. You know what that means? That means they flogged him five times. That means they took this instrument that had sharp glass and metal that were connected to Nine leather long things. And on the end of them were these claws that when you were hit with it, the purpose of it, cat of nine tails, the purpose of it wasn't hit you, it would rip your flesh off. The Bible actually tells us that Jesus went through this as well before he was crucified. But the craziest thing in the Bible says, and he was flogged and then he went to Pilate. And you're like, oh, wait, wait, what does flogged mean? It means they would strap you to this post and you'd get on your knees and they would take these cat of nine tails and they would whip you 39 times and rip it off. He says, I've been through that five times. Talk about a burden. Talk about being moved. You with me? Five times I received that. I like how he says I received it. He doesn't say I went through. He's like, I received it. It's one thing to go through trials, another thing to embrace a trial. It's one thing to go through hard trips, another thing to say, God, do in me as you will as I go through this tough time. Your parents may be divorced or getting divorced, and I encourage you to embrace it. I'm not saying don't stand up for your parents and try and fight for them to stay together, but I'm saying don't run from the trouble, embrace the trouble, run to Jesus, cast those cares upon him, and he will do in you what you need him to do. He will restore you and refresh you. See, the problem with Christians today in America is, well, I don't really go through persecution. Well, there's trials and tribulations that come your way, but you run from them. 
And God wants you to embrace him. You've been through so many already. It may not look like floggings, but there are trials that have come toward you and have come to you. And you haven't received them. You've rejected them. And so that's the devil. I don't receive that feeling. No, those feelings that you are going through. And God wants you to take those feelings to him. And as you take those feelings to him, he'll restore you. He'll refresh you. He'll revive you. He'll bring you joy in the midst of your pain. But you have to receive you have to receive it. Remember when my son died? I don't know if it was a son or not. But it was a baby in my wife's belly, and I thought it was a son. And I remember when she had her miscarriage, and I remember what I naturally wanted to do. I naturally wanted to run away. Because I didn't like having to cry. I didn't like having to weep. I didn't like the feeling of what I was embracing. I couldn't stand it because I would cry uncontrollably for hours. And I would hold my wife and she would cry. And she still had this baby in her belly. And I had to either choose one. I'm just going to move on. And act like it never happened. Or I'm going to embrace and I'm going to receive this hard time, and I'm going to cry, and I'm going to weep, and I'm going to wail, and I'm going to praise God in the midst of this storm, because I know that as I do that, he'll do something deep and great in me and in my wife and us together that cannot be explained with words. It's peace that surpasses understanding. It's joy that leaps over mountains, regardless of what I've been through. My God can. The problem is we don't have that testimony because we don't receive. Say receive. I didn't have this plan. This is just coming. 25, three times, three times I was beaten with rods. I mean, he just keeps going. I mean, we could go on about what it means to be beaten with rods. He was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. We just read about that. Now, you can't just read over once I was stoned and go, well, he was stoned. Okay, three times I was shipwrecked. Whoa, whoa, whoa. you got to go back to once I was stoned. I was sown. I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was, I was lost at sea. I've been in journeys often in perils of waters and perils of robbers and perils of my own countrymen and perils of the Gentiles and perils of the city and perils in the wilderness. Dude was bit by a snake and perils in the sea and perils among false brothers and weariness and toil and sleepless sleeplessness often. Gabriel, I don't ever sleep. I don't know if I can really. The dude was in sleeplessness often, in hunger and in thirst. He didn't even get to eat or drink all the time, in fastings often, in coldness and nakedness. He goes down this whole list of things, and he says, besides these external things, which the NASB says, besides all these external things, he calls them things. You can't just say things like that. What he says, beside these external things, besides these things that they did to my flesh, there's something else that's happening inside of me. And you know what he says? He says, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern or my deep burden for all the churches. It's as if he's saying all those external things are one thing. But, but, but beside those, I have this burden. I have this deep concern. I have this pressure that's upon my heart that's causing me to be pushed through all those things. It's a burden for the church of God. 
It's a burden that the church would stand strong in persecution. It's a burden that the church would worship and praise God no matter the circumstance. It's a burden that the church would continue to disciple and worship God, disciple each other and worship God no matter the situation. I have a burden, he says. And he says it comes upon me daily, and I can't run from it. You know what this burden was? It's the burden of Jesus. It's the burden of Jesus. When these things were happening to him externally, he said, God, I give you these external things, and I embrace this internal burden that's going to cause me to persevere. That's why when Paul was stoned, he stood up and he walked back into the city because he had a burden in his heart. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you for my burden, my burden, my burden is light. And my yoke is easy. He doesn't say I'm not giving you any burdens and yokes. He's saying I have one for you, but it's what you were made for. When it says it's easy and light, that means that it was tailor-made for you. Before you were even born, God has created a burden for you to have. When I say burden, I mean your heart. Your heart is pressed down. You can't sleep at night. You toss and turn. You wake up in the middle of the night praying. Or you come to church. You can't get out of your head. Paul, I, mean, I, I, can't even, I, can't even, I can't even try to communicate it. He does it great. <laughs> he says, I have this deep concern, burden, pressure is what that word means. It's the same, it's the same word. It's the same exact word. That Peter uses in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, when he says, cast your cares upon me, upon him, because he cares for you. Same word. He's saying, he's saying, I have this thing happening in my heart, and it's weighing down on me, and I can't run from it. I can't ignore it. It's so heavy on me. And it's causing me to do all of this for Christ. It's causing me to do all of this for the church. What am I saying? I'm saying... You're concerned with things that God is not concerned with. And you go, Gabriel, why, haven't I, why aren't I having an impact? And it's because you're concerned with the wrong things. Do you know what's so crazy? Just hear me out. The dude, the dude Paul would go into these cities and he'd preach and teach about Christ. And just a few would get saved. The Bible says many. Sometimes it said few. Sometimes it said a couple. One time it said one person. That's, but to him, that was enough. To him he says, all those stonings and beatings, whips, and imprisonments, that's enough. For one, I'm talking about you getting a burden. For one. Just start with one. We're so far from burdens from God in America. We don't understand burdens. I'm just starting to understand it because I sleep a lot less now. It's 1.30 in the morning last night. I rolled over to my wife. I didn't even say anything. She knew what I was saying without even saying anything. She goes, I can't sleep. I said, I can't sleep either. I said, what's going on? She goes, I have a burden for the church. I can't stop thinking about it. I can't stop praying. 
Do you have a burden? Don't answer me. Or do you have a burden for the church? I'm not saying if you're doing a hobby. I'm not asking if you're doing some cute hobby for the church. I'm wondering if you lose sleep over the church. I'm wondering if you lose sleep over that person that isn't saved yet. I'm wondering if you, I'm not saying that you carry, carry all these carry all these things and you're just running around like you're Jesus and you're supposed to save the world. But I am saying there's a burden you're supposed to carry and it's a burden for lost people and for the church of God. It's the same burden that Jesus Christ carried when he was on earth. If you say, Gabriel, I don't have a burden, don't think less of yourself. Get over yourself. Come to Jesus. Give him your burdens and your concerns and say, God, give me your burden. Give me that yoke. Give me that burden that you've made for me. Not for him, not for her, but the one you've made for me. I need your burden. There's a burden that you were made for. Rather, there's a burden that was made for you. It's a jacket that was fit just for you. It's a pair of shoes that were fitted for you. It's gloves that were tailor-made for you. It's a love for some person, for some type of people. Maybe it's thugs. Maybe it's the preps. Maybe it's the rich. Maybe it's the poor. There's a burden that God has made for you, and maybe you've tasted it every once in a while. But I'm telling you, God wants you to be concerned with it every day. And until you're concerned with it, you're just living a normal Christian life, and you'll never live a life that Christ has purchased for you to live. I'm talking about getting a burden. Can the worship team come up here? Burden. Say burden. Get your burden. That's my message tonight. And it may not happen tonight. It may not happen for three months. But this is going to be a word that's going to change our youth ministry. Because our youth ministry will not be changed unless we get a burden. And your school... Listen to me, your school will not be changed unless you get a burden. You ever hear of Noah? You know Noah? Noah, the dude that built the boat? Noah. Noah had a burden. He had a burden to build a boat. The dude, you don't build a boat for a hundred years for no reason. You build a boat if you have a burden from God. You know, in the Old Testament, when the Bible says that God spoke to the prophets, he was literally saying that God was giving the prophets a burden something that they couldn't hold. Gabriel, I think I have a word to preach. Do you have a word to preach or do you have a burden? Because I don't want to hear your message if it's just to preach. I want to hear it if it's burden. Do you have a burden? Gabriel, I want to lead a small group. Do you just want to lead a small group or are you burdened for the church and are you burdened for the lost? Don't do it. You'll waste your time. Because I want to impact. I want to see this place change. You know, the Bible says... The Bible says in Acts that, that these guys were so crazy, they turned the world upside down. I don't just make that up. They says it in the book of Acts. I can't think of where it is right now. If, if you want to come find out where it is, I'll help you find it later. They turned the world upside down because they were committed Christians because they had a burden. Come on, stand up with me. Stand up with me. Come on, we don't need, we don't need worship. We don't need, sorry, we don't need songs. We don't need music. And as they're coming out here, they're going to start playing. But I want you to begin right now. Close your eyes, bow your, bow your head, and begin to think of those things that you're too concerned with. And if you need to go into the back of the room, if you need to come to the front, if you need to get into an aisle, I encourage you to do it. 
You need to confess your burdens. You need to confess your sin. You need to be restored in confidence. And you need to get a burden from the Lord for what you were made to do. Okay, you have a burden to lead worship? No, it's not necessarily a burden. Maybe you have a burden to lead pe- God's people into the presence of God. That they would experience Him and encounter Him and be changed forever, not just to play an instrument or sing a song. Be a burden to come closer to the Father and lead people closer to Him. Okay, Rob, I have a burden to teach. Do you have a burden to teach? Or do you have a burden? I don't, I, I'm not asking for a burden to teach. Uh-uh, uh-uh. We don't need the burden to teach. There's a lot of teachers and preachers. Do you have a burden for the church? That's different. Because out of a burden for the church, after the pressure for the church will come preaching and teaching that is powerful and life-changing. 